What is up, my fellow mind explorers? This is Shane, your host, as always. I want to say welcome back to the podcast, and thank you so much for listening. Your continued listenership um, means the world. You know, it means the world to us that you guys are not only listening, but also that you guys are taking these concepts and applying them in your own lives and finding some benefit. Um, that's why we do it. Um, no other reason. It's just to try and help as much as we can with the, uh, as I like to call it, the innerverse and how do we explore that and and uh, how do we make sense of it? How do we make sense of it all? So thanks for listening. Please continue to listen, but also, you know, take a couple seconds and like and share our uh, podcast if you can. Um, whether you're um, coming to this through social media, if you are, please like and share there. If you're coming to it through YouTube, please like and share there as well. Uh, every little bit counts, and I know it only takes a couple seconds, so we'd really appreciate it. Um, this podcast is funded by advertisers, uh, unfortunately, um, but we um, we put all the money right back into the podcast, so that means making the sound quality better for you. Um, so... You guys can also donate to the podcast if you find any of this information useful at all. There should be a link at the bottom of whatever app you're using to listen to the podcast. And you can donate from any amount, from a dollar to ten bucks or whatever. Uh, Every little bit counts. And like I said, it all goes right back into the podcast. So that way you get to experience um, what your donations do just by listening every week. And, uh, you know, it's really cool. Really cool thing to support if, uh, if you're into supporting things that you believe in. So, anyway, I uh, want to also let you know about our YouTube page. Go check that out. It's the Mind Ops YouTube page, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. And uh, there you'll find a lot of GoPro content under the uh, Conversations with the Mind playlist. There's a number of these podcasts uh, up there on YouTube, so go check it out and get the audio experience along with the visual experience. Uh, it's kind of different, and we're going to be trying to play around with camera stuff and editing and trying to make it cooler the more we learn. Um, if anybody is uh, versed in that or an expert in any of that stuff, uh, feel free to reach out to me, and uh, if you if you are down to try and help me add in some effects and make it cool, um, that'd be awesome. So please support the YouTube page. Also, you can go to uh, our main website, www.mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. And uh, we'll get right into the ad from them. So just take a listen real quick, and then uh, we'll get right into our good news story. But first, some quick business. Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored by MindOps.com. You can find us at www.mind-ops.com. We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military, through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. 
All right, who's ready for some good news? Today's good news story comes from the Good News Network. You can go to thegoodnewsnetwork.org. Um, and the article that we are reviewing today, uh, the title of the article reads, First fully rechargeable carbon dioxide battery is seven times more efficient than lithium ion. I'm all about new tech, guys. And this is a really cool little innovation. So a lot of the new technologies coming out, uh, really interesting and, you know, really innovative, but uh, have been f- having difficulties with uh, batteries, battery life, battery size, things like that. And a, a few of the products, you know, the size of the battery just makes the product itself uh, really impractical. So I really liked this idea because, um, I mean, they've been studying this and trying to figure this out for a while, but uh, you know, and we all are kind of familiar with lithium batteries. It's in a lot of our current electronics, but these ones um, are lithium derived from carbon dioxide, and it gets into the process a little bit. But um, it says uh, they're attractive energy storage systems because they have a specific energy density that is more than seven times greater than commonly used lithium ion batteries. So potentially, these batteries, um, you know, right away have a lot greater potential. Uh, for storing capacity because of their energy density properties. Uh, let's see. But until now, they haven't been able to develop fully rechargeable prototypes. So they finally put one together. That's awesome. Uh, researchers at the University of Illinois at Chicago uh, designed and operated these fully rechargeable batteries, uh, running them up to 500 consecutive cycles of charge and recharge. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I've used... Like, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I used to have like these um, rechargeable double A's and triple A's back in, uh, I think it was the 90s. And um, they were just really, really ineffective. Like after maybe six or seven charges, they just wouldn't hold a charge more than like 20 minutes. And so I really think that these uh, these new batteries have a lot of potential to, you know, make a positive impact. I know I go through a ton of batteries a year and I hate just throwing them away because um, they're difficult to recycle as well. So let's see. Uh, it says traditionally when lithium carbon dioxide battery discharges it produces lithium carbonate and carbon the lithium carbonate recycles during the charge phase but the carbon just accumulates on the catalyst ultimately leading to the battery's failure so this was uh what some of the issues were in the past it was leaving like a carbon uh, residue which was reducing the battery's ability to work properly okay um so it says they used, oh man, I can't even pronounce this, molybdenum disulfide as a cathode catalyst combined with a hybrid electrolyte to help incorporate carbon into the cycling process. Um, this is a little bit too technical for me uh, unless I sat down and like started to look up some of these chemical reactions. Uh, but for some of you guys out there who love chemistry, uh, I apologize because I'm probably messing this whole thing up. Um, anyway, an interesting idea. Um, they also say go on to say in the article that the materials that they actually use to make the batteries themselves um, are composite material, uh, might be of recycled origin, but they said that at the end of the, end of the day, um, 
through their own analyses, and this would have to be verified by a third-party source, but by their own analyses, their batteries are carbon neutral. So um, the materials that it takes to actually make the battery, um, you know, they get equal um, amount of energy or output from it. Um, you know, it, it makes the planet more green in some way. So I thought that was pretty cool. Pretty interesting technology. New technologies are abounding every single day, and uh, I'm definitely not on top of the newest and latest trends, but when I come across really cool, interesting things that I think are uh, going to help drive a lot of future thinking in these fields, I like to share them. Okay, so today's conversation with my mind, um, and I apologize, guys. Uh, I haven't been able to put out podcasts as frequently as I used to or as frequently as I have wanted to uh, for a number of reasons. Um, some family issues came up, but also, you know, with my uh, doctoral program and things like that here at Colorado State, as you can imagine, it is just super intensive and uh, takes a lot of time Um away from other things that I enjoy doing. So I apologize for that. But uh, just so you know, like the things that I'm learning in uh, in my classes and everything, you know, I'm, I'm integrating that stuff right away into my thought processes and the discussions that I have in my own mind. So I try and bring that stuff to you guys as well. So in a way, you know, the, the podcast might be spaced out a little bit more because of time constraints and things like that. But I'm hoping to bring a lot more in-depth um, discussions, uh, at least with the conversations I've been having with myself and um, you know, questions that I've been asking my cohort and my classmates and my professors and uh, just been bouncing things around. So the conversation with my mind recently is around this. It's not even, uh, it's a central concept, yes, but it's not um, unique in a sense. It's been thought about for a long time. And that is the question of how do we know what we know? So what do you guys think? When you hear that phrase, what do you, what comes to mind? I know for me, when I first heard the question, the first thing that came to mind was evidence, experience. Um, you know, I almost started listing these methodologies of how we store or know knowledge. Um, what did you guys think of? So there's actually um, a lot of ways that we can know things. You know, a lot of people... Uh, in the West have been really uh, hyper-focused fo almost on, you know, evidence has to be scientific, it has to be um, verifiable and provable and repeatable and all these things, and uh, that that is the basis for knowledge. That is all that we can know that we know. Um, and... You know, I'm one to disagree with that. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I find science to be a very valuable to tool, um, but it is definitely not, definitely not the end all be all. And unfortunately, I, I look around, uh, even, even in, uh, well, especially in academia, when I walk around campus and I go to different classes and different departments, um, knowledge gained through scientific investigation is held on the highest pedestal. Um, and, 
you know, that's that's how a lot of it's taught. But what I've liked about some of my discussions that I've had is that, you know, I have found some people within the establishment who are uh, open to understanding that there are other ways of knowing. So there's an, even an entire science about this. It's called epistemology um, or the theory of knowing. Um, so, yeah, how do we know? Uh, what are the methods that we use to know things? How do we validate uh, information? Things like that. And like I said, I'm one to disagree with, you know, the status quo these days that it, it uh, holds science on such a high esteem. And I see science as a tool, um, but a tool that can also be held equally alongside other tools. Um, in my, I guess in my, uh, in the last 10 years or so, since I've been inundated with Buddhist theory, Buddhist philosophy, and Buddhist practice, um, I have put so much more value in gaining knowledge from experience, experience itself, not just reading um, what someone else experienced, but going out there and doing self-experiments, you know, figuring it out for myself, seeing if seeing if uh, what I read was correct. And it has only served me in good ways. I mean, there are ways to overdo it and go out there and push experience to the limits um, to where we we can go to dangerous places. But in my experience, and I'm going to use experience again, in my experience, experience has always been a better teacher than, uh, you know, uh, I guess, normal, I'm using quotation marks, normal ways of learning, you know, through science and through books and, um, you know, accounts of other people's um, experiences. So there's lots of different ways of knowing, guys. Uh, There's ways of knowing through feeling. There's ways of knowing through, you know, dreams, through uh, mental constructs, through science, through experience, um, through relation to others. You know, there are all sorts of different ways of knowing And we all engage in them, but we don't always give them all enough credit or enough credence. So I ask that you guys ask that question to yourself and ask, you know, how do you know what you know? How do you, um, and, you know, push it even further into belief and value systems. This is such an important and valuable experience to do. But ask yourself, you know, what do I believe and why do I believe that thing? You know, where did I gain that knowledge from? Um, was it through personal experience? Was it through uh, visionary experience? Was it through a book uh, that someone else wrote? Was it given to me verbally through traditions passed down? You know, how was it? How did I gain this knowledge? Uh, oftentimes that lets us know just very how, you know, how very important that knowledge is and whether we should keep it or not. But ask yourself this thing about your belief systems, about your values. Ask yourself, what are my values? Where did they come from? And you're going to start to start to see that, you know, I did, uh, at least I did when I explored, but a lot of the things that I thought I knew, um, I didn't actually know. They were just uh, concepts that someone else had told me were true that I had just held um, to be, you know, the absolute. Or I might read a research paper or something and, and yeah, okay, they found this thing. So it's all, you know, now I have this, this piece of knowledge. Well, 
I'm sorry to tell you guys, but, uh, or maybe I'm not sorry to tell you guys, but science is not meant to be the end all be all. Science is an ever evolving thing. And, um, it's written into the philosophy of science that in order for science to be effective, it needs to be open to changing itself and modifying itself given new data. So when you add knowledge to a scientific knowledge base, theories should change. People's perspectives should change. Um, you know, all sorts of things should shift because of it, but we don't see that. Uh, we don't see that all the time, and I'm I'm getting a firsthand glimpse of that in academia, um, where a lot of the things that I'm interested in researching, you know, very valid and uh, even you know validated through scientific methodologies, um, very important um, ways to explore our consciousness and our mind, and how important that is not only for meaning and purpose, but how important that is for the evolution of our collective consciousness, um, sometimes it seems to fall on deaf ears. And, uh, you know, it's, I know that that stuff is important because I, again, I've experienced it for myself and it's difficult to, to convey the importance of that, um, to others who haven't experienced it for themselves or maybe have not been so mindful when they have experienced it, you know? Um, maybe weren't paying attention at the time, but anyway, that's been the conversation with my mind. How do I know what I know? How do I believe what I believe? How do I value what I think I value? And like I said, this is such an important exercise, I think for everyone to do. I was first, um, introduced to this kind of exercise in my recovery process early on, you know, it very much is a time of shattering and rebuilding, you know, you shatter, you, you need to shatter, uh, or I needed to shatter, um, that addictive self because that addictive self was killing me literally and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. I had to shatter that paradigm and it was extremely scary to do that because that had become my norm and that's what I had been comfortable with was abusing myself and abusing other people uh, mentally emotionally verbally whatever and uh, you know abusing myself physically all sorts of things and it's not um, you know I had to shatter that paradigm in order to get through it and it was scary but there's another side to that coin there's another side to that story that just because you're examining and breaking you know what you held to be true for a while yeah sure that can be scary change is scary but there's this other aspect to it that once you start shattering those things you're being given an opportunity to put things back together in a better way um, you can think of it as like a clean slate that's what I thought of anyway when I got sober is uh you know, I shattered this old paradigm of who I was and I was left with this scary question of like, well, who am I now? Uh, what do I do? You know, how am I going to cope with life and all of its difficulties? How am I going to cope with this reality that I don't seem to jive with right now? And, you know, I had a mentor, a wonderful guy, and he, he told me, you know, Shane, you should be grateful that you are where you are in right now because you're being given an opportunity to get a clean slate. Now you get to choose your values. Now you get to choose your beliefs. Now you get to choose the direction of your life. 
And, um, you know, I took that and ran with it. You know, I started shattering all sorts of different parts of my psyche that I had uh, fixed and had kept in a box. And, um, man, what a journey it's been. So, like I said, I encourage that for everybody. to When you're examining yourself for personal and self-growth, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be painful. It's going to be scary because, in a sense, you're asking for change. You're asking to let go of the familiar and embrace the unfamiliar. And that's really tough. That's really, that's really hard to do. And I'm telling you that with more practice, it gets easier, but it never for me has gotten so easy, um, that there's not that, you know, that, that cringe, that, uh, fear. I think it's a healthy fear, you know, at the same time, you know, um, my focus these days tends to go on, you know, how can I use this for learning? How can I use this for growth? If my ego is going to shatter, if, if my pride is going to shatter in this moment, how can I put it back together in a more meaningful way? Something that drives me forward to greater understanding, to higher understanding. Um, and so that I can overcome my own ignorances, you know? So that's my conversation. I ask you guys this week to ask yourself those questions. Thanks. All right. Our guest today. Awesome guests. Um, so I'll give you their names first. So Jeremy Hastings and Tyler Allen. Now they're really longtime friends with each other. This was actually the first time I'd ever met Tyler. Um, but Jeremy and I have an interesting history. Uh, I haven't known him for long, but we actually, um, were opponents against each other in um, what uh, February 2019 for um, fight to win 101 the professional jujitsu card here in Denver. Um, Jeremy and I faced each other on the mat, um, and uh, he beat me with a uh, with an armbar. And um, but I learned a, I learned a lot from that exercise um, with Jeremy. And like I've said before. Often it's it's our opponents that become our best teachers, and uh, I learned a lot from that experience. So I want to I want to welcome both Jeremy and Tyler to the show. Now Jeremy is a brown belt from uh, the Compound Jiu Jitsu uh, here in Colorado. He's self employed as a licensed electrician, and he considers himself a fight to win weekend warrior. So fight to win is this uh, professional jiu jitsu promotion that travels the country and recently just um, hosted and promoted um, the uh, ADCC uh, Abu Dhabi grappling submission or submission grappling championships and Jeremy was there working there so he travels on the weekends with the fight to win promotion uh, helping uh, set up he's part of the setup crew and also competes uh, professionally in jiu-jitsu um, so when he's traveling like that, he, he acts as a fill-in and gets lots and lots of matches on the road. So uh, great stuff. Tyler, um, a friend of Jeremy's since they were young, um, has some MMA experience, and he talks a little bit about that. But his real interest, um, why I wanted to have him on the show, is uh, he's really into biology. Um, he considers himself a tree doctor. Um, and uh, he likes to examine and treat tree pathologies. And I thought that that was really fascinating uh, when we talk about that. Um, and you'll see why. Uh, lots of connections there. Lots of interesting connections between plant life and human life. Uh, but good stuff. So 
I want to welcome both of my guests on today. This is the first time on the show that I've had two guests in the new studio. Uh, so check it out on YouTube. It looks a little cramped. Let me know. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they were comfortable or not. I hope they were. And I hope to have them back on the show. I hope you guys like the show. Uh, keep on listening. All right, here we go. Uh, welcome to Conversations with the Mind, folks. with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane LaMaster. This is episode 56 with very special guests, Tyler Allen and Jeremy Hastings. How are you guys? How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having us. Good. Nice. You guys sound good. Um, so maybe just get a little bit closer when, when you guys speak into it. But get yeah, or you, guys, yeah <laughs> or you guys yeah, or you guys can stay close the whole time. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's get friendly in here. So, uh, oh, and let me know too if it gets uh, hot or cold in here. This room tends to get kind of hot, so I uh, can do what I can to adjust it. Um, so let's get started. The first question is the same one I ask everybody, uh, and that is, what does conversations with the mind mean to you? How does that phrase land with you guys, and how does how do you guys unpack what that means in your worlds? Jeremy? Sounds uh, like an invitation to self-analysis to me. Um, I think one of the uh, things that differentiates people from anything else on this planet is our ability to self-analyze and self-critique our behaviors and our mental patterns and thoughts. And that's uh, intriguing in and of itself. And I think that's what it would imply the show is supposed to be about in some ways and how we all are kind of connected and wired. And yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Isn't that crazy how um, we are like one of the few, few, if any species who can self analyze. And yet you like look around at the landscape of people and there's so many people not doing the necessary self-analysis to grow or to evolve themselves, you know, a lot, so many people are just like, I don't want to deal with that. Mm, it's that uncomfortable. Piece. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and I think that's probably one of the biggest issues. If, you know, we can admit there's an issue with societies, people are afraid to look inside. Um, I, I love the name of the show. Um, it's a big part of why I feel so comfortable being here. It's a good message. It's definitely worth spreading. Um, as far as, conversations with the mind absolutely i think that if the populace is not actively trying to seek out inner space as well as outer space in our objective i think everything else is just vanity mm. <laughs> I've, I've often had the thought that uh so we're as a species we've we've had a long history of being focused on like the cosmos and the universe and like space travel and aliens and looking outwards at like stars and planets and galaxies to help explain things. Um, but you're right. There's like this, it's a mirrored duality between 
uh, outer space and inner space. Absolutely. And so I've had this thought that, you know, if we're, if we're so gung-ho about figuring out what's going on out there, that's so far away. It's hard for us to study when all we need to do is kind of turn inside first and study all this first. And then maybe we'll have a better idea just innately of what's going on out there, right? Because it's, it, it's a direct reflection. It's as above, so below. Right. I mean, it, it reaches out just as far outwards as it does inwards. Um, I mean, that's why the phrase know thyself is one of the most important. And not many people live by that. It's, like we said earlier, it's an uncomfortable thing. But it's the one thing that we must do, I believe at least, to make any real progress. Yeah, I agree, <laughs> for sure. So I, I often find, too, and both you guys have um, pathways through the martial arts, and I, I'd like to hear about both your guys' journeys and how you got started and what got you into it and through and got you to where you were at. Um, but I found, at least for a certain class of martial artists that really take it seriously beyond just the technical fighting aspect, but the spiritual piece the holistic piece of the martial arts that we find, um, you know, amongst all of us, we, you know, we use the martial arts as a means of self-exploration, you know, self-analysis. You know, every time we're on the mat in training, we're learning about ourselves through our partners. You know, every time we get tapped, we learn something new about ourselves. I have this gap in my in my consciousness in my jujitsu game, and it's also reflected out in everyday life too. So I find that, like, with martial artists like us, uh, we just have this, we have more of an inclination to want to go inside and dig deeper. Do you guys find that, too? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it takes a certain kind of person to be willing to make their way through something like a martial art where you, when you start out, you are at the very bottom of a very real totem pole. You know, and people, especially in jiu-jitsu, you know, you think you have these ideas of how, you know, combat and everything should go and then you roll with you know a female who's 30 40 pounds lighter than you and next thing you know she's actually choking you out or about to break your arm so i think uh anybody who can stick around let their ego be smashed like that and keep coming back from wars somebody who's into self-progression and uh learning about themselves and seeing what they're capable of and what they can make out of themselves mm-hmm yeah, I think you see that him in him too. Like when I was describing that, you were like pointing. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, I've known Jeremy for uh, over a decade now, mm-hmm. and our friendship. I mean, yeah, we we knew each other through uh, through high school, and uh, we were actually supposed to fight each other in high school, which is the ironic part of it. Yeah. One of those high school uh, yard matches. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, funny story. It really just yeah. broke down to one of what my happened? friends yeah. got uh, uh, talked shit to the wrong guy. It happened to be Jeremy, and then uh, my friend calls me. From the hospital, he brought it all up on himself. I have no blame for Jeremy on this one. And, Did you uh, put him in the hospital? <laughs> I may or may not have. <laughs> allegedly, uh-huh. alle- he allegedly uh, had some involvement. Allegedly but you uh, fight with the wrong person that happens. You know, I was a new kid in school. It's it's always bound to happen every time you change schools. So, just so happened to be one of his friends at the time when I first came here. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean. We've known each other for a while, and I've actually seen the actual change in Jeremy. Now, I don't have the uh, extensive background that that, uh, you or Jeremy have in the martial arts, but um, I've had a unique perspective of seeing my best friend go through it and see the struggles. And, of course, we we started when we were young. We started together, and, uh, you know, 
it's a good outlet. It's a great outlet. But being at the age that we were in full testosterone, we were we were in it for good reasons, but also the wrong reasons as well. You know, I, I remember um, those days too. My early twenties. Absolutely. Yeah. We were seventeen, eighteen when we started. <laughs> oh, oh did yeah. Did you guys start with jujitsu? Was that your first? We jumped into everything kind of all at once: oh, jujitsu nice. and MMA. We spent every day at the gym. Yeah. Pick them up at eight in the morning, and we we wouldn't leave there till like nine at night. And that was, I mean, and then we just developed that friendship. Like an entire from summer doing that, pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But the the change, I mean, Jeremy wasn't, you know, he was, he was a good guy, but uh, a little high strung, if you could. And then through the outlet and 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 through the struggles, like I've, I've watched each one. I mean, I've been to almost every single fight, and. Uh, the individual and how introspective like you've become really shows significance in how the martial arts has affected your life. And the most confusing thing for me, it was confusing because of the age I was, but we had, Jeremy and I had a, uh, it was our first Muay Thai trainer, our first coach, Muay Thai. And he saw that Jeremy and I were kind of out for blood and just kind of being assholes. And uh, he pulled me aside one day, and he goes, you know, a true badass carries himself as a humble man. And that goes for anyone that wants to delve inside of themselves. That makes you a true badass, too. And if you go inside and look at what's on the inside of you and what you consist of, it'll it'll make a humble man out of you, at least most of us. <laughs> if you're smart about it, it will. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that will ignore the red flags and the ego. That's a, a, a tricky opponent. It is. Our, I think our biggest opponent in any match, whether we're you know against ourselves or against somebody else, literally is still against ourselves. You know? Yeah, yeah. But our opponent is also our biggest teacher too. Oh, all you know? all the opposition in your life, mm-hmm. whatever's got you razzled, whatever's difficult in life, that is your greatest teacher. That's what you should pay attention to. And a lot of people uh, they need to look at that. The, a big thing about I mean living in. I mean, just the society I have. I'm a very small circle. I have you know, not a lot of neighbors and whatnot, but you can see it everywhere you look. That people... Uh, I had forgot where I was going with that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where do you, where do you uh, hail from? Uh, Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, my brother went to Elizabeth High School uh, oh, for yeah. a little while back in the day. Oh, yeah, I'm not far from that. Okay. Maybe like six miles or so. Nice. So it's nice, it's nice, but... Uh, I'm actually doing a tournament at the end of this month right down there by Parker. The Fuji one? Oh, that's uh, the Fieldhouse, Parker Fieldhouse. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. down in the same area, right, mm-hmm. as Elizabeth? Um, it's closer, so it's in Parker, which Elizabeth. is just before Elizabeth. Okay. Parker is like a slightly more populated version. Oh, Elizabeth. for sure. Elizabeth is more like what Parker was like 10, 20 years ago. Is that where you guys grew up? I didn't grow up. No. I, just, I moved here. He's grew up and lived in that area his yeah. whole life, though. So where did you guys go to high school? Ponderosa. Ponderosa, okay. Nice. That was one of them. For Jeremy, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I went there, and that's where I met him, and then my senior year I switched to uh, Eagle Academy. Okay. Yep. Two fine products of the public school system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, that was, that was, uh, it was it was fun growing up out there, uh, I suppose. You had to find your own things to do. I mean, you can't just walk to the store or nothing like that. So. Well, it makes sense why you guys were in the gym, like, all the time, you yeah. know? It's probably the most fun thing to do in, in the whole town. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. so I think, it, like you said, Jeremy, when you stick with something long enough, if you have the discipline and the fortitude to do it, I mean, you end up just 
naturally going inside and learning about yourself, testing yourself, all these things. Um, do you think that the people that uh, don't necessarily give it a chance? Um, I mean, how long have you how long have you guys been doing this? I've been 17. training for uh, eleven years straight, pretty consecutively. Okay. And how many people have we seen come through the door and then never see them again, or train for a couple of years and then they're more gone. than the ones who come in and stick around? For, for sure. sure. I think I read a stat one day that said like one out of ten thousand that start get, end up getting a black belt along the journey. Yeah, wow. I see it being somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty and staggering. I've also heard that people that earn black belts in jujitsu, it's it's. Uh, the equivalent of getting like a doctorate or a PhD at a for the time university. it takes, yeah, mm-hmm. and the commitment and the dedication and the ego smashing yeah. <laughs> voluntarily that you do. I think that the people that um, cycle in and out, number one, they don't know what they're missing, and number two, uh, like I think a lot of the population, they have issues with looking on the inside, right? Scary things come up. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do, whether you're looking on the inside or do, doing jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Like either one, they're difficult. And the the funny part is, like, that's why people do them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the growth. But some people, um, I think I remember what I was trying to say earlier is people look at discomfort as something that should be avoided, and it absolutely shouldn't be. Um, I mean, you don't want to be stagnant. I mean, you got to go through the difficult moments. Whenever you're uncomfortable, that is your only opportunity to grow. It is uncomfortable to have your ego smashed whether it be by jujitsu or, or five grams of psilocybin. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable, um, and it should be. That's where growth is. If you're always concerned about being comfortable your whole life, you're just a stagnant pond. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to contribute? I mean, like, no offense to the people. You know, I've, I've been guilty myself, but you got to strive for the discomfort in life if you want to grow. And there's, there's an extreme to that, too, where you can get, uh, you know, uh, it can become an addiction where you can seek out drama all the time or too much drama. Uh, Discomfort, right? Where dis- I mean, you don't want to, you don't want that to be your focus, such that you you find yourself, you know, committing crimes to to seek to go to jail and things like <laughs> well, that. Right? Yeah, well, you know, the the general discomforts that we have in life. Sure. You know, people, you know, they look at, you know, uh, I had this breakup. This woman doesn't want to be with me. What's wrong with me? Well, that's your opportunity. You sense that you're, you're uncomfortable. That's your opportunity to look at the whole situation as a whole. Um, you know, being happy and looking at a situation and being sad and looking at a situation is going to give you two different perspectives, depending on how long you're going to think about it. But both of those are great for analyzing whatever you're going through. You're going to need multiple perspectives to pursue whatever you're after or trying to figure out what position you're in. And that's where knowing that thyself is. Um, you have to analyze it in each state of mind that you're in. Now, don't go out and causing, uh, you know, purposeful discomfort. That, I'm sure there's some medical names for that, uh... I don't even know if that word fits, like sadomasochist or stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, psychosis. But you know, and and then it comes to people starting drama to create discomfort. Um, I mean, that that's what they're doing. They're being a antagonist, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not exactly relishing in the discomfort of themselves, but of the discomfort they cause for other people. That's why Mm -hmm. they spread and create the drama. Mm -hmm. Um, So where it originates is definitely important, but. What's most important is if you're in an uncomfortable position in life, which we all find ourselves in inevitably, that you hone in on that. You accept it for what it is, and you work through it until it's until it's over. That's the only way you're going to grow. And what it is way down at the core is it's a teacher, you know? It's a teacher. Uh, Everything that happens to you, good or bad, 
you know, good or bad is just a label. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just be it's a choice you make mm-hmm. too, and it, it. But it's a teacher whether you like it or not. Um, whether you choose to learn from it, that's also a choice. Yeah, and you need to pay attention to that too. But um, yeah, something that really helps me, and uh, well, I'll just throw it out there: cannabis for sure. You know, um, helps with the self analysis. Meditation for me helps absolutely. Um, things like. You know, jujitsu for sure, but other repetitive exercise, um, running, you know, I can get in, in that self-analysis mode. What are some other things that you guys do on your daily or weekly basis to to help get into that space? Because, you know, there's going to be other people listening to this too, right? And they're going to they're gonna be like, I want that. I want that, but I just don't know how to get started. So what are some things that we can throw out there for ideas for people? In terms of just opening up that kind of state of mind of yeah or or um yeah like how do you how else in your life in your daily life do you um learn things about yourself how do you discover how do you how do you analyze your behaviors your thoughts do you use formal tools like meditation things like that you know i think like you'd said with cannabis i think cannabis unintentionally um helps people look within and self-analyze and, and sometimes even overthink things. Um, so partaking in that helps with that. Uh, I think just anywhere in life you find yourself, I mean, it can just be your work. You know, you find, you know, you, you have a problem at work, you have to figure out a way to solve it and get around it, you know, and then what's left afterwards is, how that worked out and what you learned from it, you know? So I think lessons are always there to be learned. It's just a matter of if you pay attention to them, you know? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's, I like where you said you're at work and you come across a problem. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's how, that's the best time for your self-reflection is when that problem arises again. Yeah. Challenge. But, we, like you yeah, said, absolutely. challenge arises. I mean, that's, that's technically your opposition. Jiu-jitsu, you face a lot of opposition in life. I mean, the same thing, but what he says, you know, like one of the examples, like the first example you mentioned was at work, um, which is interesting to me because it shows that you're you're self analyzing while you're you know doing your daily task for your career, um, which shows to me that like you can find happiness or introspection at any given moment that you want. You just have to be willing to pay attention to it. A lot of people don't do it because there's a lot of distractions around. You know, it's a lot easier to go. Let's just turn on the TV. Think about what they're telling me to think about. Um, for me personally, like I, I do meditate, I do partake in cannabis. That's why I think I lost my original train of thought earlier. <laughs> but um, the other unintentional effects of cannabis. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's quite a list of effects. But for me personally, um, I overanalyze mm-hmm. all the time, all the freaking time, to the point where like you know I, I tend to like start to not get shit done. Mm. Oh my oh shit. So yeah, analysis by paralysis or uh, paralysis, paralysis by analysis. By analysis. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for telling. Yeah, I'm going to use that now. Um, but I mean really I'm I kind of view myself as like a, a sensitive individual, not like emotionally and stuff. Yeah, I cried at Endgame, but I'm not I'm not <laughs> emotional, all right? That much. Um, but like I'm I'm I see myself as like a highly sensitive individual when it comes to um, I want to say consciousness. I don't, I don't think my brain like shuts it down as much or reduces it as much as 
I don't want to say is maybe like normal people, but um, so you think just in general the flow of your consciousness seems to be a little more open. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're right. Like, society certainly puts constraints on consciousness, either through the laws that they're telling us, you know, you can't explore your consciousness using these molecules, <laughs> right? That's so stupid. Uh, so dumb. they're putting limitations on how we can explore it. Religion does this. Yes, um, that's very good that we, we at know? least have that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they push a lot of distractions at us to yeah. try to keep us away from those things. Yeah, or to, yeah, be. like mind control. Like, here, look, pay attention it's, to this. It's freaking it's psyops. Thing. Yeah, don't watch the news folks <laughs> or hey don't go into your own mind either like pay attention to this news story yeah, yeah. hey fear, check it out fear yeah. fear why look inside yourself when you could look at kim kardashian's butt yeah yeah that's you know a lot of distractions and it's built that way if we if we start to you know actually look into inside of ourselves and explore that area and we'll start to see that the, my neighbor is not really an asshole He's going through something that I may have went through a couple of years ago or something or something that I, you know, I might go through in the future. If we start paying attention to ourselves and really and really analyzing things for what they are and not what we, you know, perceive this place to be, because th- we tend to make enemies out of people that we don't know just due to not knowing ourselves. Um, knowing yourself is the best way to know others. Honestly, it's the only way to know others. You should. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm a firm believer. If you don't know yourself, you shouldn't be trying to implement yourself into somebody else's life, no matter what what position that is. You know, if, if it's a friend giving advice or if it's a girlfriend boyfriend situation, if you don't know yourself, be cautious of what you what you say and and, and do for other people. Because, I mean, you may, you know, be confused as to what the intentions are. Um, I'm not really sure where exactly I'm going with that, but I'm, I'm just trying to iterate that knowing yourself is going to be the best formula for getting along with everybody outside. Sure. So that self-analysis is crucial no matter how you get it done, right? Cannabis, meditation, exercise, uh, your work, yeah. right? As long as you're doing that analysis in your life, uh, you're probably making progress. Absolutely. Right? Um, so I'm huge into this idea about Human potential, human growth. Uh, I have a master's degree in sport and performance psychology, so I do sports psychology, uh, like in my private practice. Um, and so, optimization of the mind through, you know, the power of the mind. We have this great mental tool up here that we can, uh, or maybe it's probably not even up here. It's like out here. Mark, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, we have this amazing tool at our disposal, right? Self analysis, uh, and then. Our ability to intentionally adapt and make progress, right? Um, I think my primary interest in school right now is going to be, I'm going to want to be doing a dissertation on psychedelic-assisted therapies. But uh, in the future, like what got me into um, even wanting to do psychedelic research in the first place is wanting to explore microdosing's effects on athletic performance uh, because I personally use uh, microdosing in training and in competition at times. And subjectively, I experience things like enhanced balance, uh, enhanced uh, somatic, s- somatic and sensory things, um, time dilation, so I'm, I feel like I'm moving faster. Increased awareness. Better cardio, right? Or it seems like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so uh, this is fascinating to me, like that we can use these almost as like a technology or another tool, um, not only for self-analysis, but for like fine-tuning our cognitive processes. Um, And in turn, it will, you know, enhance our physical abilities as well. Do you guys, I mean, 
wholeheartedly believe in that. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I've had my own, you know, subjective experiences with them. You know, it's, it's uh, they they can do a lot for you if, they, if you use them in a responsible manner. You know, they, they really can. Um, I do know that Jeremy, I mean, he's, he's on the same page with you, microdoses and uh, does training and, and whatnot. Yeah. And I, I told you privately, like I microdosed before our own match that we had. Me too. Um, yeah. We, uh, we just happened to be on different molecules that yeah. night. It was like uh, a battle of the molecule. Right. Um, and I had practice up until that point for about a month or two, um, once, once a week, do, once or twice a week doing a uh, microdose. And yeah, I mean, I felt, felt incredible, like didn't know how to quite put it but i felt like i was definitely getting like better training in when i was doing it so mm-hmm. um i felt like it was like opening up my creativity and, like how i saw things and how i was like aware of things happening like while training and rolling in positions and transitions and yeah i just i see why there's a uh, a lot of buzz about the experimenting with microdosing now because mm-hmm. so far my own perspective it's uh Look promising. Well, there's uh, there's actual um, research on that piece with the creative problem solving, mm-hmm. um, and they that's why Silicon Valley loves it, you know, yeah. for computers and apps and stuff because people are able to solve these complex problems, uh, mathematics, and they get past their own writer's block with it. Yeah, totally. Hundred oh, percent more. And find flow states all the time. Oh, know? it's a lot easier getting to a flow state, I'd say, if you're microdosing. So I, sure. I typically just do um, like point one to point five grams, make a tea out of it sit there and read a book or something like that i'll do that i'll try to do it twice a week but it usually ends up being about sundays so both mushrooms though right yes yes yeah. for me yeah so um uh, last year so i haven't been to school in eight years and i just started up college uh last fall and uh i wasn't particularly good at school um and so yeah i was a little nervous for it but first class up was what i did the worst in in, in high school and i was english and i was like ah great and uh, we had to write a paper. Eventually, I knew it was going to come to this. You know, we had to write a big final paper and whatnot. And, you know, I, I chose the psychedelic experience or uh, the Renaissance and psychedelic science today versus the, the psychedelic era in 1960s. Mm-hmm. And then I try to compare the two and then make an argument for why these should be decriminalized, at least in, in uh, therapy sessions or psychopharmacology, or at least for people to study them on a more wide basis. And, uh, I wrote the paper while microdosing, mm-hmm. and puts a nice little spin on it. Did you reveal that to the teacher? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, and she was she was she was with it. She's hip to it. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I walked into that class. She had like a green military jacket on, tie dye bandana, and dreadlocks. And I just went, nice. "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> so that helped in my favor a bit. But I'll tell you, writing the paper while microdosing, um, it was really mind opening. Um, you know, I, I was I was coming to conclusions and thoughts that uh, I don't think I would have normally come up with. So it definitely helps out with the creativeness on it, um, for sure. Um, And I think it also helps you uh, retain whatever activity that you're doing while you're microdosing. I think that it helps you maintain that muscle memory or that thought pattern um, or that route that your brain takes to achieve that goal. I think that it stays with you a little bit deeper. It's a little bit more ingrained when you do something like that. I mean, you got, you know. I mean, that makes a lot of sense if you believe in the stoned ape theory, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's a reason for that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, Yeah, so for the listeners out there who don't know what that is, Terrence McKenna came up with this idea of the stoned ape theory where um, as apes 
descended from the trees and went into the grasslands uh, in search of more food, they found this fungus growing on these cow patties and decided to eat it, eat it, and it was psychoactive and uh, spurred brain cell growth in the whole prefrontal cortex, and that's how uh, he uh, hypothesized that we have eventually evolved into who we are. Um, and actually, the studies on psilocybin are showing um, stuff around neurogenesis and, and growth of uh, brain cells and mm-hmm. stuff, and speeding that up, and maybe even some possible applications in the future for things like Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, some of those degenerative diseases of the brain. So that's really cool. Um, and I met these folks out in Detroit once. You're going to love this. Um, and they were they were midwives, so they help people birth kids. And, um, man, the thunder is really cool. Yeah. I hope that shows this up on the great. podcast. <laughs> um, but they, they help these um, people have... Um, babies at home and they're very spiritual about it and, and tr- traditional um, the, from the African American communities and they put um, just a little bit of psilocybin in the baby's mouth like right as it comes out get out yeah, right as it come out, right as it comes out they put a little bit of psilocybin in the baby's mouth because it's non-toxic um, and they're they're thinking is that um, it's gonna spark uh, neurogenesis at an incredible rate right from the onset uh, it's gonna start opening up the brain's ability to make more connections over the entire lifespan um, and sort of just help make this super baby with psilocybin. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, baby. Maybe. Uh, Who knows? Well, I mean, I can see the theory behind it, and mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily against it, though. My, uh, I'm not married now, but my future wife probably, I don't know what she would think mm-hmm. about that. That's just got to take a very special individual to allow someone to put psilocybin in their newborn baby's mouth. But, um, I mean, it's like after you build an engine, I mean, you're going to fire it up. And I feel like we should it. experiment with rats with these types of things before oh, we sure. jump into oh. the oh, we actually experimenting, experimenting mm-hmm. on our own child that's well, got its whole life ahead of it. I just feel like when you're born already, your entire brain is already in a constant flux, state, uh, state of absorption and growth. Like, it's mm-hmm. constantly developing new... I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, I'm sure that it could have uh, benefits or things like that with um, brain development. I feel like that early on, I don't even know if that's necessary because I feel like babies are already basically constantly tripping. You know, yeah. I think oh, everything that, that, to them that is, is an argument. New. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, well, absolutely, they did. They did test it out on rats. I think it was California University. There was a study last year that that, that actually showed that it was uh, psilocybin, LSD, and DMT all um, caused neurogenesis and, and increased your neuroplasticity. So, I mean, like it's proven in rats for sure. Um, but yeah. not on infant rats. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, not to, on infant to show rats. That there's a difference between an adult rat who right. had the controlled yeah. substance versus one that. That's, that's, that's really scary. Shit. I haven't even heard about um, comparison trials between uh, baby rats and adult rats for anything. Ever. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, that's I, just I, an interesting it's idea. Gonna, it's got to be real, real tough, yes. I would assume. Um, I mean, uh, the rats, they develop so quickly. It's got to be such a really, I mean, you need a slower growing animal. I mean, humans have the longest. Uh, uh, development stage of any animal on the planet. I don't know if we ha- can have any other animal and be that close on to what it actually does for your baby. Now, I mean, maybe a long-term uh, trial mm-hmm. would have to take place, but that's 20 years from sure. now if, you know. Yeah, these folks, um, I mean, they didn't just, like, willy-nilly came across it, but they were pulling off of lineages back from their African roots um, mm-hmm. when, you know, their ancestors would do some of these cultural practices. Um and I think um, you know it's been in it's been in our human history forever. You know, oh, since the, since the dawn. Yeah, uh, I think I saw a map once of like 
how humans have migrated across land ever since the beginning of humanity, and then also a map of how cannabis has migrated across the land, and it follows the same exact path. No, so no. like cannabis <laughs> and humans like follow the same, you know, and mushrooms well, too, you know, um, yeah. because we have mutually beneficial symbiotic relationships with these plants mm -hmm. and they're they know that the plants know that. oh they absolutely do and they they give us like these gifts in order for us to like hey we need to stay alive we need these people to like plant us around and make us you know, well just deal continue. with them yeah. yeah we just need to pick the mushroom in order to plant sure. it somewhere else and spores are tiny mm -hmm. but that was even um you know i think it was probably the humans who came through and brought the seeds of with them with the cannabis oh, yeah. so i'm thinking it's got to be the humans first but that would be interesting if the cannabis laid out a map for us it goes hey oh no i go over here <laughs> i definitely think the, the humans brought along with them oh yeah but because the cannabis you know provides so so much good you know oh, it's it really in almost does. every culture across the planet mm -hmm. across history you know there's um there's a book called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan and he, and he has an interview have you read it i have it on my bookshelf oh too. nice Is that, remember that recall that interview with uh, paul statmans Paul statements, yeah. Statements. And uh, he was talking about where you find these psychedelic mushrooms at. And they're often growing in disturbed dirt where humans have a lot of involvement. Mm. And it's like they're almost seeking us out going, hey, fucking eat me. <laughs> like mm -hmm. an old school Mario movie from the 90s. Mm -hmm. As long as it's alive. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I actually heard that that uh, video game Mario Brothers might have been partially inspired by psilocybin or amanita musk like the, the yeah, red mushrooms in there are the amanita how muscle. else do you write growing code without going crazy yeah. growing shrinking going down into underworlds and like yeah battling your shadow self and, you know all those things it's a metaphor for yeah fighting giant turtles that breathe fire you gotta oh, yeah. be tripping for that tripping oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah how can you think of that without without some psychedelic experience yeah. absolutely on board with that one. Um, but I also, I've also heard that, you know, the mu mu uh, mushroom spores can survive in space, so they can survive on, like, asteroids and things oh, like yeah. that. And uh, that's probably how they're, like, transplanted from planet to planet. and Panspermia. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, that the mushroom has kind of... It's an, it's an intelligent thing, you know, and it's the largest living thing on the planet. The, the mycelial bed in the Appalachian Mountains is, like... It runs for like hundreds of miles. Uh, Just this one giant living mic. It's like, uh, I think it was the last they measured is like 2.4, but it's it weighs like millions of pounds, 2.4 okay. miles. Okay. Um, no, I'm with you. That's actually what I specialize in oh, at nice. work is um, I inject mycelium into the ground to force these, these trees to cooperate with each other instead of... Yeah, they're uh, communication networks, right? Oh, absolutely. Tree. And that's how the trees like send nutrients to each other. Um, and the fungus governs it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's What I specialize in is, is the application of ectomycorrhizal fungi. And there's two types of funguses. So there's ectomycorrhizal and there's endo. So endo is going to be like parasitic, kind of negative. When I think of endo, I think of like venom, mm. symbiote type thing, you know. Um, but the ecto, it's the stuff that I apply. It's about like 32 different types of, uh, types of spores. And then it'll form a symbiotic relationship with all of your feeder roots. And it'll actually grow your feeder root system 10 to 100 times the original surface area. Wow. And it will span out and grow on to other roots from other species of tree and whatnot and essentially govern them. It'll, it'll be like, hey, you need some iron? Um, well, all right, I'll, I'll go out and find some iron. And this, this mycelium is covered in these enzymes that'll digest, hard to digest minerals so that trees can't do themselves. And it'll translocate that nutrients to the tree, provided the tree gives it some carbon-based sugar. So you have this organism in there that is governing the forests. 
Now, there are exceptions. There are plants that hijack the nutrients, and there's some trees out there. I think it's a special kind of oak that will actually send toxic chemicals through the fungus. Mm. But um, they, they, they use it. They call it the wood-wide web. Um, the trees are able to send or generate, send, and receive electrical signals at one-third an inch per second, and they send that as like a fiber optic Electrical deal. signaling. Electrical So, And then it turns into electrochemical signaling, mm-hmm. right? Because the... It's just like our brain. neuron. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah it's sending so, out neurotransmitters. Yeah. So we have these electrical signalings, and then it tells the synapse, hey, you need to release more of this neurotransmitter in order to get this effect. Same thing's going on with the myceli- mycelium is that they're, they're, yeah, giving instructions. Oh, yeah. So is there a way to, um, like, learn how to program things into mycelium to get certain effects in in an environment like can can you apply the same thing you're talking about with trees to like uh standard um flower flower garden or vegetable garden and help um you know help more symbiosis between those kind of plants too you you can for sure um my knowledge on that for for flowers or fruiting bodies and stuff like that um i'm not particularly aware of the stuff that i deal with they say don't use it on plant food Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we apply it to flowers and stuff like that, and absolutely, they 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 take off. It's mm-hmm. it's really really it's it's cool. To see. It's one of the reasons why I keep doing the job is mm-hmm. to come back next year and see this person's flowers, see this person's trees, the shrubs, everything. And um, there was about three years in my career where you know I, I wasn't applying this stuff, and then um, we picked it up after about the third year. And ever since that, the properties that we take care of have just exploded and essentially what we're doing is what humans should be doing with society we're, we're we're going back to the roots of how this stuff actually grows we're going back to nature we're going back to the natural way of things and that is significantly increasing the health of these plants now every tree that you have in your yard or every tree you see on the roadside it doesn't particularly belong there <laughs> they don't belong there they belong in a forest with all their buddies, all their, their same species and other species, plant life, bugs, they belong in a, in a big community. Now, is that because they they have a, like a social aspect to? Absolutely. Okay. Because I've, I've read um, reports from like, uh, I don't, you might have heard of this too, from the Redwood Forest of how the, the Redwoods um, have been releasing like neurochemicals into the air, into the atmosphere um, that only have receptor sites within the human brain. They don't have receptor sites in any other animal or plant species. Um, and so that the trees are actually, like, trying to communicate. And this is their way of communication. We're just not picking up on that because they're not using language. Yeah. But uh, the neurotransmitters are, are making connections in people's brains, and we don't know what the message is. but They're happening. Yeah, but that these things are communicating, right? And they can communicate with each other um, because they're social. Oh. You know? We don't think of trees as social things. No, you know? no, they look like a stick in the mud. Right. You water it, it grows, who cares? But All you have to do is look at, like, the lining of treetops and see how they'll grow around each other and not into each other and stuff to know that oh. they, they can talk they they talk to each other at least mm-hmm. they send out um signals like when they're in pain to let other like the smell of freshly cut grass is basically the screams of <laughs> dead grass that, that you're smelling like they're trying to warn <laughs> the grass nearby it's not good no you can't do anything about this but we're yeah. getting chopped up over here yeah um, so yeah they we're we're on different wavelengths but there's way too many similarities between people and plants to ignore those kind of cool to learn about we're we've co-evolved with one another mm-hmm. and uh we even have a segment of tree dna within our own 
Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so I, I wonder if they have a segment of ours in them. I bet. I mean, they're written out of the same stuff. Same for twenty proteins, below, right? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Treetop root system. I mean, every you can see that metaphor. I mean, absolutely everywhere. But yeah, they um, they they communicate with the the pheromones. Um, pheromones, electrical signals, and then the root tips, they actually can click at like 220 hertz and let other root tips know where a nutrient-rich segment is in the soil. So, I mean, they, they communicate in three different ways. Even mother trees can recognize and care for their own offspring. So, I mean, these, these are bioorganisms who are conscious, maybe not in the way that you see, like you and I as conscious, but these things are, are wholeheartedly conscious that, that – neurotransmitter or that pheromone you're talking about from the redwoods trees have abilities to call in specific animals and insects with those pheromones um they can call in wasps they can call in ants um they they you know deer they, they kind of fuck up trees here and there they rub their antlers on them they'll eat a little bit too much and whatnot but a deer or a tree can sense when it's been damaged by the environment versus if it's been damaged by a herbivore so when a herbivore takes a bite out of it it'll leave behind saliva and the tree picks up on that saliva and release two pheromones one that says hey guys we have a quote-unquote predator in the area, um, but bump up your growth hormone. These, when I say predators, you know, it's a herbivore to a right. tree. Absolutely. It's like yeah. a, could be a mountain lion, you know. Um, and they want them around to the extent that they'll eat their seeds and spread their offspring further. I mean, the trees actually want the deer around. But the interesting part, I th- believe I read this in, uh, it's called The Hidden Life of Trees. Uh, if the deer consume too much or cause too much damage... The tree has the ability to call in a carnivore. Really? A fucking mountain lion. And scare off the deer or just, you know, obliterate a couple. And that to me, that's, I mean, the reason why I, got, I found myself in the world and speech of, of, of consciousness and going into my mind and whatnot was because of the tree industry. I was going to say, like, you had to have um, gotten really interested in this topic because of what you had found through, what you had learned about trees. And that's oftentimes how we come to this uh this journey or this exploration of like uh, the ethereal, right? The the stuff we can't see um, is usually because we've learned something about our physical world that we're like, this is really interesting. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, I need there's to figure to out. It. Right, I got to figure this thing out. And then we find like, oh, there's this whole other realm that we can connect it to, right? And then it goes <laughs> real deep. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the. I mean. In the order it went, it was essentially the easiest way I can break it down is I, I started applying a fungus. I saw that the fungus made these trees cooperate with each other instead of comp- compete against one another. And then uh, I have a friend, Jeremy here, who's been trying to get me to eat psilocybin for about a decade. And I didn't until I started noticing what that fungus did for the trees. Mm-hmm. And that's what it does. That's what you know other funguses like psilocybin-containing mushrooms do for people. Yeah, so Jeremy, how did you get into, uh, how did you find your path to psilocybin? Um, not for any kind of in-depth type of purpose to me. It was just the idea of seeing something visually that I knew wasn't actually happening just intrigued me for some reason. The idea of like colors changing and patterns and everything moving just for some reason just sounded fun. Sounded mm-hmm. like something different, I don't know. Um so I really wanted to try just for that aspect, just kind of experience. I feel like that's part of what uh, human life is all about is the experiences that we can that we can have and learn from, you know. Uh, Self-experiments. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to try it for that aspect. Um, did it one time a long time ago. Had a had an absolute blast. Had a lot of uh, 
really had a lot of uh, those kind of like self um, analytical conversations. Like really thought about my life, where I was going, what I wanted to do, and it was all positive. Like I had a, like I had the time of my life on it, and I enjoyed it, but didn't want to make it like oh I want to do this every weekend. It was like okay I got a really good experience out of this. It's not like you know ruin our entire or change our entire life over but like learn from it you know right because you can get addicted to the the pretty colors and the the yeah, insights i, mean, I think get. like anybody can get addicted to anything i think balance is crucial for everything in life but um i wanted to do it again i wanted to wait for like the right time and a couple years or a few years or so went by and you know he came around on it and then we tried it over at his place and yeah i think uh you obviously took to it and <laughs> yeah it's 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 a cool tool to uh to experiment with from time to time you know if you're wanting some self-realizations or some change or you know you just want to get a little weird for a while it's a lot of fun yeah it's definitely a tool definitely a tool good way to switch it up literally (laughs) yeah uh so we're finding in the research too it's it where all these psychedelics are working on uh the default mode network in your brain which is like the automatic behaviors and the automatic thoughts that that you've pre that you've programmed into yourself that's your default mode mm-hmm. and that these psychedelics go in there and they just they shake disrupt it, it for mm-hmm. a minute and it's shake like up the snow globe right and then they're like okay now's your chance to like realign just the way that you want it so take advantage of this right um that's why we don't suggest doing it like every single day you can't do a psychedelic mm-hmm. every day the tolerance doubles Literally every day, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason for that. That's why they're non-addictive uh, physically, except for ketamine. But, they're anti-addictive. Uh, right? Most of yeah, them, yeah. Most of them really help <laughs> people come out of addiction. But the novelty, I mean, like you can get addicted to the pretty lights and get addicted to the good times, right? Mm. And how it connects you socially. And that's the part that people just need to take that's it That's what they look on. at at the surface. You know, right. There's, it goes way deeper than that. I think that's where it's actually like where it becomes a tool and useful for changing people's lives and who they are sometimes even for the better you know yeah we got to give it time to unpack itself yeah in in between there's yeah there's wholeheartedly a a reintegration period sure that's i learned that the hard way well (laughs) we were talking about earlier like you know a lesson doesn't mean anything if you don't learn from it you know so i think it's good a time to take those things and try to absorb and process everybody everyone who's tripped knows like you go through something when you trip right like you have at some point in the experience you you have a lot of thoughts about yourself and what's going on in your life and it really makes you look at yourself from a whole different perspective than you had before the trip you know so um yeah I think that's a good place for us to segue to a quick commercial break. So we'll be right back with segment two, uh, Conversation with the Mind. Hold tight. As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. All right, folks, we're back for segment two with Conversations with the Mind. So, yeah, at the break, we were talking about uh, Salvia a little bit. You guys want to share your experience with that? Because the only time I tried it, I think I was in a hotel room with a bunch of high school people, and we were just, like, trying to inhale and hold it as long as possible. I think I almost blacked out and hit my head on a dresser, and then I was like, that was 
lame. I'm not doing that anymore. But some people, like, swear by it, so... So, same thing like I was saying earlier with what I had tried uh, mushrooms for. It was, you know, purely for, like, the experience and just, hey, this is for... For some reason, that for a short period of time, or actually just up until within the last 10 years, uh, salvia was not illegal in Colorado. Like, you could go into, like, a tobacco shop and buy salvia. Mm-hmm. Is it now? Is it illegal? It is, it is for about 10 years now-ish, has been made illegal. You can huh. no longer go and buy it. Really? Um, which, I didn't understand how it was legal at the time to begin with, considering all the other things that were illegal. Oh, Somehow, okay. salvia was... Slipped through the cracks. So, I had well, somebody... It made you not want to ever do psychedelics. Because <laughs> they like, no, you do this one time, you're not going to do it yeah, again. Yeah, they weren't no, worried about it. No. Um, so, I, I had someone get it for me, took it to his house. We had some people <laughs> over. We tried it, and... Yeah, there there is just not like a really good way to explain how it feels, but it's like I remember leaving his house, like just didn't even turn on any music, just sat there in silence, just thought about what I just ex- just experienced the mm-hmm. whole way home. Uh, just puts you in a really weird place, like in a completely different sense of reality. And there's like you're aware that it's completely out of whack, but there's no changing it. And it lasts for like about five minutes or so. Could, yeah. Is it is it uh, introspective? Like, does it make you start self-analyzing like the other psychology? No, it's too rapid. No, no, it's, too it's, rapid. <laughs> so it's just happening, and you're aware that it's happening, but there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and- you're just like suddenly in like a different type of dimension where the laws of physics and everything is just completely different and... Mm. Yeah, uh, you feel the effects of gravity a lot when you're on it too. Like you get like if you're sitting Pseudo down, gravity. like if you're, if you're if you were to be sitting down on like a beanbag or something, you would hit it, and then once it hit it, like you'd find yourself like sunk all the way back down into it. I think that's probably why I almost fell over. Oh yeah, gravity was all <laughs> messed up for me. <laughs> it yeah. goes, yeah, your equilibrium just gets it's like when you're around. like. You know that spinning ride at the carnival where mm-hmm. like you're oh. stuck to the wall. Yeah, the gravitron. Yeah, it's yeah. like being on the gravitron, but there's no gravitron. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It's really hard to explain if you haven't done just like some of the other psychedelics out there. But I remember just feeling like everything in, around me was like pages in a book, and like everything was flat and one dimensional. I felt like a page of I felt like a page in a book somehow. It was just huh. the weirdest thing. Whose book? I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Questions deep. I don't know if I want the answer to. Right. <laughs> oh, am I just some page in some guy's book? Well, the book I was reading that night sure. was, was me looking over at Jeremy. We were doing this at the time at my parents' house. We're smoking yeah. this salvia at my parents' house. And, uh, I look over at Jeremy, and he's he, my parents, my family, they consist of they all hunt, and they have trophies and whatnot on the wall. And Jeremy... Uh, he wandered off. It's shortly an after. interesting place, an interesting setting to trip anything in is with heads on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, not really recommended. Um, but I, I come upstairs. Jeremy wandered off shortly after he took a hit, um, and uh, I come upstairs and I see Jeremy, and he's just face to face talking to this white-tailed deer on the wall. Not really audible either, but <laughs> <laughs> just like mumbling. <laughs> nice. It was yeah. He, I was like, "Man, you're talking to the deer." You're like, "What? No, it wasn't. Uh." Uh-uh. Other dimensions, man. Maybe it's, he was talking to him. Straight up, maybe the spirit of the deer. I can't after sure. after experimenting with that stuff. I don't discount really anything. Right. <laughs> so that was a real deer. I mean, Have you guys um, experienced DMT? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you guys know that you can literally see other dimensions, right? Within mm-hmm. the same occupying space. If you have the blast through, yeah. right? Yeah. So salvia might be just another another lens that is showing us, like, hey. 
this place actually exists where gravity is like a hundred times what it feels like here, but it's happening right here. And uh, maybe you guys did go to another place. Yeah. Your consciousness. I, I heard that two-dimensional um, visions uh, consistently. I mean, I'm, I would. I should be say. a common theme. I've heard yeah. 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 um, two-dimensional. I had a buddy who did it, and he's like, "Dude, I was in Mario, <laughs> yeah, like Paper Mario. That's why, like, paper everything Mario. was like everything felt like a piece of paper somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I tell you, yeah, dude. I've been on a high dose ketamine experience once, where everything I looked around at um, looked like it was made out of Legos. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> like even I looked at my wife. I'm like, you're made out of Legos and the Legos were like undulating and moving but you could mm. see every little brick uh, it was it was nutty and then I looked it up online and I guess a lot of people have that similar mm. visual experience it's like like Legoland mm-hmm. um, so these dimensions you know it's possible that they exist I don't believe that our consciousness is localized in our brain oh I don't uh, I believe that the brain is more like a like an organ or a tuning fork it's a tool in and of itself that kind the- of consciousness is like out here a little bit. You could argue that Sorry. your brain, what you're experiencing now, is just one of many of itself in all the parallel universes that are out there. Right. So. Yeah, it's one possibility happening. In another world, like I just knocked over that that's water, right? No, I knocked over the camera by hitting the cable. Yeah. And yeah. This other world is very chaotic. <laughs> but it's all happening simultaneously. <sighs> yeah. Uh, that's the part that, yeah. It's, it's it, There's a lot... It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Even the tree stuff you were talking about earlier, like if you go and tell the average person on the street that the trees are communicating with animals and other trees and human beings on a daily basis, most of them would think you're nuts. Oh, absolutely. But the science tells us that, you know, um, there's so much that we don't know about consciousness and about living things, you know. I'm a believer that, you know, plants have a consciousness and... Or a spirit, Gaia. or yeah, or whatever. So, yeah, if that's Gaia? the case too. Does that mean vegetarians aren't really any more moral than us? No, exactly. absolutely. I can, I can exactly. pretty much confirm exactly. that, man. Yeah, <laughs> totally. They register and, pain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean they do, and they're murder. Yeah, it's, it's plant murder. <laughs> well, I mean, a great band name, plant they're, murder. They're just choosing the lesser of the two evils, you know, because in this existence, it's it's sad but true. But something has to die for something else to live. That's just the way it operates. Is it the lesser of two though? Because you got to kill how many plants to make a meal for you, and you got to kill like one animal spirit that could feed a family for six months. Yeah, right. Yeah, true. But that's one soul versus like millions of souls that like, I just killed when I cut the grass. It just feels better eating a plant, I guess. You yeah, don't guess. feel as bad because it doesn't have eyeballs looking back at you. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't scream. Yeah, yeah. at you. I you mean, yeah, hear. that you can hear. Yeah, Ooh, Cows are pretty affectionate animals, too. If you oh, actually God, have to like excellent. kill your own cows, I couldn't imagine having to kill someone that like looks at me and thinks it's like my friend. I would feel like I betrayed it. Mm. Mm. But I love a good hamburger. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> when I was I growing up, uh, my grandma raised a cow, and its name was T-Bone. And I remember as a kid, it was like it would roam her property for years, man. Uh, just see T Bone out in the field, and then one day it just wasn't there. And uh, we had steaks for and, a long time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it took you a while to connect the dots. It or? did. Yeah, like I, I didn't get it for a while. I didn't make the connection, but uh, I was so far removed from it that it wasn't sad anymore. You right. know, probably the easiest way for that to happen. Sure. <laughs> no, but that's yeah. It's interesting. I don't think um, I don't think consciousness is localized. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's one thing. 
you know, we can never put our finger on it because every time we seem to put our finger on it, we're shown something totally new and different, whether it's through psychedelics or meditation or uh, victory on the mat, like congratulations last night, by the way. Oh, thank you. And that was in uh, Philadelphia? S- uh, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, okay. I did Philly uh, a few weeks back. Lost that one. That was a title shot. Kind of got hometowned. Mm. Uh, went out and did this one in Seattle and won that. Yeah, it was a triangle armbar combo, right? Yes, yeah, uh, locked in the triangle, and then uh, about three minutes in, finished it with the uh, straight arm lock off of it. Guy didn't want to tap. Pretty sure he made me kind of break his arms. I felt it pop like a bunch of times. Yep, that's and happened he, to me a couple and times. And he tried to really just nonchalantly say, okay, I think you got it, or okay, good. Couldn't hear exactly what he said. Verbally said something, I I knew I was breaking his arm, so I just let go. and um, Yeah. He, he verbally tapped. I so, tried to do it in like the most nonchalant way, yeah. which is just crazy. Because like, like <laughs> you could see the ego. Up, there was like two seconds pause between me feeling his arm pop multiple times all at once, and then him just saying, "All right, yeah, I'm okay, good. <laughs> yeah." That's, that's ego Such right ego. in your face. Could you classify ego as a drug? Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Most people are addicted to this thing that they call whatever your name is. You yeah. know. <laughs> This concept that I call Shane is not, you know, I, I get so addicted to it every day that I wake up in this same body, you know? Uh, yeah. Um, but that's great. I've, I've had to do that before in competition, too, uh, where I'm like, dude, you got a freaking tap. And then I just keep going and hear pop, 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 pop. And then still no tap. But afterwards, I, I, I don't know about you, but I always, I mean, I didn't get into the martial arts to hurt people. Right. Um, and I... Still, I know that he signed up to do this, but I still feel bad. Like right. you're a human being. Yeah, like you, injuring someone, yeah. you know? I feel the same way. I didn't have any animosity towards yeah. the guy, so like I went up to him afterwards and asked him how his arm was doing. He amazingly said it felt fine, so mm. no, I was able to I I hit that moment, though. Like I felt the arm lock, like, lock fully out, and I was like, okay, if I go any harder, I'm probably going to break his arm. He's gonna make me do it, so I'm gonna do it. Like I had this kind of like conversation with myself, like okay, I'm like I had to mentally commit to breaking this man's arm because oh. I had it fully locked out, and he and I started applying pressure. It started popping, still nothing, and then like maybe a second after that, it feels a lot longer than the moment. It's probably about a second or something, and he was like, he just verbally said something. And I, I honestly couldn't have been pulling any harder. Like I. From the angle that I that I had, I was going as hard as I could, and I already felt it pop. I just heard him say something. I assumed it was a tap, and I let go. And yeah, he wasn't contesting it. He he wanted out, but yeah, I don't know how he didn't show more pain in that moment because I literally like was arm barring him as hard as I fucking could. That's uh, that is one of those conversations with the mind that is so freaking intense. And the fact that you had the wherewithal to like stop at the point of full extension and just be like, I have a choice here. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're a white belt, you don't think about the choices. You just like rip it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But as as a brown belt, you know, we, we learn like I know how far this guy's arm will bend mm-hmm. and I have a choice to do something about it. Right. You know, um, that's another thing that we develop in the martial arts. You stick with it long enough. You learn how to avoid fights. You learn how to avoid conflict, you know, if you can. Talk your way out of it, or, or, or like literally, like you can hold someone in a position with jujitsu and not do any damage to them, and calm them down, you know, until the police get there or whatever. Right? It's not meant to hurt anybody um, necessarily. Right. But when it happens, you know, we're we're humans. We feel it. Yeah. 
That conversation's okay. crazy. Yeah, I was glad he was okay though, and I did check on him mm-hmm. afterwards. He's seemed fine. So yeah. Well, congrats. Thank you. And that uh, that gi that you wore last night is pretty cool too. The tie dye. Yeah, yeah. It was just a uh, all white lucky gi that I had. I actually lost the top to it like two years ago, so I bought another one, um, or they sent me another one. Um, and then just randomly, one of the uh, GMs at our Denver location had found it and assumed that, oh, it's a A3 Lucky Gee. Who's going to be? It's probably Jeremy because that's all he fucking wears. And I was like, yeah, I still have the pantsuit and everything. So now I have two sets of this all-white travel gee. So decided to have a little fun with one of them, tie-dye it. Nice. Uh, came out pretty cool, I think. So I had to wear it for the Seattle card and one. So. so what is it about the Lucky Gee? So I like Lucky because right now, like, the cool guy brand, the Gi, is, like, the Shoyu Roll. And, like, there's some other, like, ones that have a pretty good following, like, Control Industries, a handful of other ones that are, like... I like to wear War Tribe the most. War Tribe's getting pretty big, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I first started, about 11 years ago, Lucky Gi was that Gi. Lucky Gi was the Shoyu Roll. It was the, like, the original, like, luxury gi on the market that you know, everyone wanted to have and i remember like a good chunk of our like head instructors at our gym at the time had that original white and green lucky gi and i just thought it looked so cool it was so flashy and different than most of the traditional ones that other people wore um so yeah i've always just kind of because that was the original first one that kind of stuck with stuck out to me when i first started training i just always loved them um since then Choi royal has come up and they're kind of that guy on the market now but Kind of like sticking with the uh, the original Lucky Gi. It was an American brand, too. That was one of the cool things about it. It was one of the first like American jiu-jitsu brands. And Scott Nelson, the, the owner of Lucky Gi, is actually one of the um, like handful of first American black belts Brazilian jiu-jitsu out here. So I think it's just cool to uh, support Americans doing well in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So are all your geese lucky geese then? Every gi I own at this point is now lucky gi. How since, many is that? Well, it gets a little ridiculous, I'm doesn't at, it? With finding that other lucky yeah. gi, I would be at eighteen. Yeah. And you're uh, worse than me. I got I got twelve. Yeah. And he just told me that they just sent me like another package of geese, so that could nice. be like another two or three geese coming. Well, shout out to lucky. Lucky gee is the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Pimp them out as much as I can. Nice. The best. Nice, yeah. It becomes uh, it becomes like a, almost like a fetish. Like when the new gi comes out, you're like, I gotta get me some of that. Yeah, it's like for me, it's like like a gi is like uh, it's like your battle, battle armor. armor. Yeah, that's it's exactly your, what it is. That's right? your that's what fucking samurais wore under their under their real armor, man. That's like what you go into war with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a spiritual thing when you put that thing on. You step into the highest version of yourself. You know. Uh, I like that. You gotta treat it with respect. Yep. Yeah. If my house were burning down and I had to like <laughs> yeah, save the geese first, thing, it would be the geese. Like I'd get all of them all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were moving here, we moved here a month ago. Uh, I packed all my geese in in one box, and I actually labeled it in case of fire, save the geese first. <laughs> and my coach took a picture of that, and he shared it on our. Uh, we have a group team group chat, mm. and he shared it on there. And he's like, everybody should show this level of commitment. You know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I mean, the sentimental value oh, on totally. some of the keys you have, and the yeah. victories and the, and the lessons mm-hmm. that you obtain in them. In the no way literal can, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no way you can get rid of those. You know, that's a, that's a vital piece of uh, sentiment, for sure. So 
That that being said, I still have two wrestling singlets from high school. <laughs> and I only wear them when I'm vacuuming. So. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. At least they're not old school like uh, WWF or uh, Ken Shamrock uh, style. Uh, booty uh, shorts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. yeah, that's, a, that's a hard no. So what are you guys um, fascinated by these days? I know, Jeremy, you recently sent me like a... Uh, I forgot the name of the the musician, the rapper. He sent me like a an entire album where he was talking about like consciousness and metaphysics and things like that. You remember? Yeah, uh, this Owen Square or something like that. Anyway, like, what are you guys what are you guys passionate about around um, this topic? Anything? And you, you're mentioning a lot of books that you're reading, things like that. I'm just trying yeah, to yeah. like point the audience in in a direction because there are people. I mean, if if people are listening to this, um, and they are, um, then they're interested in this topic. But a lot of them don't know where else to go to get. You know, how do I explore this thing? Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, just research, research, research. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of us do get into this uh, these compounds recreationally. Um, and that's that's okay. I mean, how else are we supposed to view them with with how we were raised? And I mean, just this the stigmas that surround these things. Um, but you know, that's okay. A lot of people do it. I mean, it's not really recommended per se. But I mean, the biggest thing is just you know research. Look into every possibility because these are serious things. Um, but they're they're very important. I, I believe. I mean, personally, to uh, to society and just how culture is run. You know, our, our severance, our lack of proximity to these, these compounds, um, I think, uh, creates a lot of the issues that we see today. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, could be solved if we would just shut up and, and, and go help your neighbor, you know. And, um, and, and some of these compounds will teach you things like that. You know, there, there, it's, you can't find a number for how many lessons can be learned through them, but they're very, very powerful. <laughs> so do all your research that you can. I mean, there's so many good books out there. You got Graham Hancock, you got Dennis McKenna, you got, I mean, Terrence, his brother, but he's got some pretty uh, unique ideas out there. He's a little on the, I don't want to say flamboyant side or so, but um, I mean, if you want to look into it, I mean, even the, the world of academia is reopening a lot of outlets they have for it, like uh, John Hopkins University. I think just this week started opening up um, uh, a psilocybin test facility. Um, Consciousness Research Institute. Uh, it's it's absolutely, I mean, they have, the, just that school alone, they have it was like 50 peer-reviewed studies and, and 15 published laboratory results on, on psilocybin on the mind and, and, and what it can do for depression on cancer patients. And um, I mean... The sky's the limit on it, but if you if you want to um, research it or if you want to contribute to the awareness, that is exactly what you should do. It's just you know uh, research yourself, and and um, that way you know a lot of people prefer if you don't call them psychedelics, you're trying to rebrand them and call them entheogens. You know it's a different name. The word psychedelic kind of has a negative connotation to it, um, but. Yeah. Even though it literally means mind manifesting, absolutely, you know, it has it has the most beautiful meaning to the word. But you're right; like there's this uh, the stigma and the propaganda that is no. attached to it with the history. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was uh, the guy who I can't remember his name. He was a scientist. Uh, it was in that book, um, Psychedelic Export. No, uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And it was the scientist that dosed up Aldous Huxley, and they were writing back and forth, and they're trying to come up with a name for these compounds. 
And it was the scientist that outwrote the writer, Aldous Huxley. If you ever read Aldous Huxley, that guy's just... Mm-hmm. He's oh, not, yeah. Doors he's of Perception. Different. Oh, yeah. Brave New World. Fantastic or Bright New World. Yeah. What was it called? Brave New World. <laughs> I think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the scientists, he come up with a saying. They were writing each other back and forth, writing these little poems and whatnot, and trying to figure out a name for these compounds that will kind of catch. And it was the scientist. He wrote, um, to fall to hell or to soar angelic, you'll need a touch or a pinch of psychedelic. Hmm. <laughs> and all this is like, that's the Beautiful. name. That's it. Well, we have DMT naturally occurring in our brain, so oh, you're going to get, get it whether you like yeah. it or not. Um, so you're going to be interacting with psychedelics yeah. no matter what. Right, I think that's a great piece of advice. Research and research just, deep. Yeah, and my personally, my biggest fear, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect at all, and I consider myself to be a nobody. I, I love that fact. I love calling myself a nobody. It uh, relieves a lot of pressure for me. So uh, that being said, though, I, I don't want to be the nobody who my biggest fear is to misinform people. And I'm guilty of it. And I make mistakes and stuff. Yeah, but it's something. Yeah, it's something that you're not going to be able to avoid, really. But that's that's my biggest concern is I don't want to misinform somebody. And then, you know, they, they do something. They, they take too many mushrooms or too many grams in one sitting, you know, and, and lose their shit for uh, a good portion of their life trying to recollect everything. It just do your research. Be smart about it. And, and if somebody asks, um, if you don't know the answer, look it up or, you know, at least let them know. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> what about you, Jeremy? Any, um, any last-minute um, things that you would want to put out there to, to the people listening? Like um, <clears throat> lessons you've learned or, or things <clears throat> that you would, you would put out there? Um. <clears throat> I think just on theme with everything that we've talked about today, I think if any of this type of stuff has any kind of uh, interest to you, then uh, pursue it because it's, it's worth looking into. It's insightful. Um, anything that promotes growth, I think, is a good thing. I think that's ultimately what people can get out of uh, experimenting with this stuff is growth or even evolution, you know, depending on how far back you want to look at it. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing to really be afraid of. You know, I think a lot of people like mm-hmm. hold back on the stuff just out of like fear of the unknown mm-hmm. or fear of you know what whatever they think could happen from it. And you know, it's, the stuff has been around for since we have. There's documentation of people using this stuff since as long as they've been around. It's not going to hurt you to try it. You know, you can do it one time and it could change your life. You might never need to ever do it again, but just doing that one time might. Uh, change your perspective on life in a good way and uh it's fun given the right <laughs> given the right set and setting yeah set the yeah. Set comfortable setting and dive in yeah and self-exploration is challenging and it <clears throat> can be scary but there's so much of it that is fun you know mm-hmm. learning new things about yourself and what you're capable of you know um learning that you have literal superpowers and can do you know crazy things with with your mind and with your body if you just put your mind to it um yeah it's amazing i think i think if if i could give any advice to anybody out there to like who's on this path of consciousness or exploration is like have these conversations right talk with other people um and have conversations with people that you admire too like uh, that aren't even around like this gentleman right here bruce lee right he was an amazing philosopher on life and things like that. You can still have a conversation with Bruce Lee. Go read his book, you know. Yeah. Um, Get his perspective. Right. Have a conversation with his mind, too. 
help it inform you. So have these conversations with others. Um, and yeah, like you said, just spread, yeah, spread the word, man. You got to get those different perspectives and you know, uh, different perspectives are going to create more awareness within you. And, uh, I mean, consciousness, I believe it's gotta be made up out of awareness or else you wouldn't be aware of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only way that you can experiment with your own conscience, consciousness is uh, letting go of your ego you gotta accept the fact that you don't have control of that ride once you go on it and you just gotta let it happen because if you fight it that's when you're gonna you know have don't a bad fight. time don't yeah, fight it so you gotta be you gotta be ready to go somewhere else and let it just let it happen which is you gotta let your ego go for that to happen mm-hmm. that's yeah that's the hardest part that's, that's, that letting that's go but it's so worth it what yeah, you yeah. do it feels so welcoming like, thank you yeah that's that's a hard lesson learned there yeah. um, i think that's why martial arts and this stuff kind of go together a lot because like we talked about initially you have to be willing to let your ego go to you know keep coming back to a place where you're bottom of the totem pole where you're getting smashed and yep. all that type of stuff but it's uh good comes out of that anytime you're letting your ego go and putting yourself in positions where you got to grow it's it's only ever good I agree. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys being here today. Um, thanks we'll for having us. We'll have to do us. it again. Yeah, and I, for sure. I mean, you guys you guys uh, made this whole trip up here today. I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I also do these things through the computer, too. So uh, if you there guys you ever go. want to record through a Zoom meeting or something, too, yeah. you guys can do it from home, and we can have more conversations like yeah. this, too. Uh, I learned a ton today. I hope you guys did. I hope you listeners out there learned a lot. Um, Go check out uh, the YouTube page, MindOps um, YouTube page. This uh, GoPro will be up pretty soon. And, um, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Keep exploring. Keep it safe. All right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What a great show, guys. Uh, Thank you to Jeremy and Tyler again for coming on the show. Uh, Thank you to you listeners for continued listenership and Please don't forget to hit that like and that share button. Guys, it only takes a couple seconds, but you have no idea how much it really helps. Um, So hit those like and share buttons. Donate to the podcast if you find it uh, valuable in any way. And go check out our YouTube page. There's a lot more content than just the audio, but uh, go check out the YouTube. Keep listening to the podcast for the audio. Uh, thanks again to Jeremy and Tyler. We covered a lot of really cool topics, um, you know, anything from uh, cannabis, jiu-jitsu, um, psychedelics and jiu-jitsu crossovers, uh, self-analysis, uh, martial arts, ex- explorations of the self, all sorts of things, challenge and growth. Um, yeah, some really cool stuff, guys. So thanks again to my guests. Thanks again to you listeners. And until next time... This is Shane with Conversations with the Mind. Catch you next time.